this is Sally and welcome to Reclaiming Pride, LGBT plus survivors of narcissistic abuse. Before we start, there is a trigger warning. The episodes of this podcast may sometimes refer to domestic violence, emotional, financial and sexual abuse. To begin, I'd like us to start with a one word feelings check. What's one word for how you are feeling right now in this moment? Not how the people around you are feeling, maybe by your presence or the people that you're taking care of today. But how are you feeling today? In one word. This week, we're going to be looking at false hope and how this can extend the life of the situationship with the narcissistic person. We can't really begin to look at how false hope keeps NPD situationships alive until we look at how the narcissist manufactures this in their abused partner, family member, or friend. In essence, there has to be something that's hoped for, the kind of shiny object, if you like, that was once flashed before your eyes. Narcissists manufacture this sense of hope in us by first showing us what we long for in them and then slowly devolving into abuse. Just as we hit rock bottom, the cycle starts again with an upswing of idealization. I remember for about the first 11 years of our 13-year time together, never losing hope that the situationship with my ex could get better even when it literally could not get any worse. And I mean going into a leadership team meeting at my job in New York with bruises on my face. So let's take a look at the cycle which is created by the narcissist that has us hoping for what will tragically never materialize. So false hope in narcissistic relationships is a very common and damaging psychological state that many of us find ourselves in when we're involved with the narcissistic person That could be a partner, friend, or family member. So this false hope refers to the unrealistic belief or expectation that the narcissistic person is going to change, maybe become more empathic, or treat us better in the future. This false hope can be a result of several factors. So I'm going to just kind of talk about each of these factors that may have contributed to our false hope. The first one is love bombing. So narcissists often use this technique called love bombing in the early stages of a relationship. This is where they shower you with affection, compliments and attention. This can create a powerful emotional connection and lead us to believe that the narcissist truly cares about us. The next is intermittent reinforcement because don't forget this person isn't really loving you, so they cannot perpetuate that over any long period of time. So they'll slip away, but intermittently they will reinforce this. This was a huge one with my ex. Narcissists are known for inconsistency in their behavior. So they may alternate between being charming and loving and then being critical or abusive. This intermittent reinforcement can create confusion It can make us hold on to the hope that this narcissist will return to their initial loving phase, their initial loving behavior, that shiny object that I'd mentioned earlier on that you're always hoping for. Then there's gaslighting. Now, we've had a whole episode on gaslighting, word salad and projection. This is where narcissists are skilled manipulators who often engage in this gaslighting tactic where they will distort reality and make us doubt our own perceptions. This can make us question whether the narcissistic behavior is real or is it just a misunderstanding? And this further fosters false hope. So it perpetuates that sense of false hope because you question yourself so hard. The next is desire for return to this idealization phase. So we may long for the return of the shiny object, the idealization phase, 
when the narcissist treated us well. We may believe that if we do something differently or try harder, the narcissist will revert to that behavior. Sometimes we get to that point in the first phase and we realize that we're not sure if that's going to happen again. So then we lurch into the next one, which is fear of abandonment. Narcissists often use threats of abandonment or withdrawal of affection to control us. The fear of losing the narcissist can lead us to cling to false hope as a way of avoiding pain of abandonment. So one incident with my ex was, I remember when we were still living separately, I lived in Brooklyn, she lived in Queens, right? Um, And one time she had been giving me the silent treatment And she, it had been probably about a couple of weeks and she randomly showed up in Brooklyn with her car. She had her bike with her. She then, you know, had all her workout clothes on. She took her bike out of her car. She must have parked it near my apartment building. She rode around my whole neighborhood, had a wonderful day to herself, knocked on my door, came in with her bike, you know, looking all kind of, you know, happy and so on and proceeded to talk to me, you know, very calmly and with a weird smile on her face about how she wanted to end the relationship. And it was all about letting go. Um, And she was clearly enjoying every single moment of it. And she literally had me begging that day, literally begging for her, you know, not to do this. Then there's the low self-esteem that you just heard me describe. We may have low self-esteem and believe that we don't deserve better treatment when we absolutely do. The fact is that they know this. As a result, we may hold on to hope that the narcissist is the best we're ever going to get. So we hope that this is all going to turn around. Then there's isolation. Narcissists will isolate us from friends and family. And that makes it harder for us to gain perspective from others who could actually help us see the reality of the situation. Now, whether we be in a place to listen to that or not is another matter, but those people are all static to the narcissist and they need to eradicate them from your life in order to control you and perpetuate this cycle, which is extremely toxic and unhealthy. And anybody with a modicum of normalcy would tell you that. So they have to get rid of those people. So false hope, as you can see, is incredibly damaging because it keeps us trapped in a cycle of abuse and manipulation. Breaking free from this false hope often requires therapy, support from loved ones, and a willingness to recognize the toxic dynamics at play. And that can be devastating. So there it is. There's the cycle. That's how they do it. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Once you realize the pattern, it's one of the most, like I said, devastating feelings that one can have on so many levels. Not only do you have to abandon hope, which can be very much a trigger for those of us who are in a toxic household as kids when hope was all we had against all odds, but we also have to then look right in the face of the fact that we were treated less than a throwaway object. What is helpful about looking at this, though, is that it will help us be aware of the pink flags So these are soft signs that something may not be quite right, but you can't really put your finger on why. So those tend to occur very, very quickly towards the beginning of the relationship with the narcissist, even in the love bombing stage, because that seems to be very out of place and you haven't really known them that long. And already they're starting to talk with you about, you know, being soulmates and way oversharing. And then the red flags that will also help us be aware of those such as emotional abuse physical, financial, or sexual abuse as well. In her book, Borderline, Narcissistic and Schizoid Adaptations, The Pursuit of Love, Admiration and Safety, Eleanor Greenberg writes, 
Narcissists rarely feel any genuine warmth for anybody but themselves and the current object of their admiration. What passes for warmth by a narcissist is either a calculated act intended to deceive others and get the narcissist what they want, or a basking in the pleasurable way someone else's admiration is currently making the narcissist feel. Thus, when a narcissist says, I love you, what they really mean is, I love the way you are making me feel about me right now. Moreover, since people are usually totally interchangeable to most narcissists, the current recipient of their positive feelings can quickly be deposed if circumstances dictate. I remember physically feeling that. So sometimes we'd be driving along and and there would be this bizarre turnaround in her somehow. And I'd be looking out of the window trying to not look forward because she used to ask me, why do you look forward when I'm driving? So I had to kind of look out of the window to the side. That was another thing that she didn't like. And sometimes I'd feel her kind of caress my ear. And sometimes it would make me jump because it would become out of nowhere and Obviously, there's some trauma there as well, because those hands had also been violent. But then when I kind of look back on when those moments were and why those moments were, I can clearly see that something that had happened earlier on had made her feel good about herself. It was absolutely nothing to do with me. She wasn't even attracted to me. The fact that relationships with people with NPD are often kept in a place by false hope and misconceptions is rife. As we've seen The reason we get into these relationships in the first place is that we are tricked. We are love-bombed, and once we're inside, we don't understand what we're dealing with until it's too late. And then we start to not trust our own perceptions because the job that they're doing is working on us. Then instead of trusting ourselves, our internal dialogue might say things like, am I causing them to act this way? Things will get better when we are married or move in together? Am I the unfair, abusive or cruel one? If I change, will they be happy with me? If I weren't so codependent, stupid, needy, unattractive, they would love me. Deep down they love me, but they just don't know how to show it. All relationships have their ups and downs and difficulties like this. This must be how love is supposed to be. This is adulting. If I were more loving or lovable, they would stop being so angry with me all the time. And if you have children, if only our children acted better or did better in school or did their homework, the person would be more happy with us. In the final analysis, to believe any of this is both toxic towards you and it also enables the narcissistic behavior to continue. However, we hope because we love. One thing that my friends who I would share things with would always say to me is, But Sally, how many good times do you actually both have? The fact is that we had very few, but when we did have them, they were so juxtaposed and contrasted with the bad times that they felt almost otherworldly great. This in and of itself is toxic and very hard to explain to someone. So what you end up doing or saying is just saying, well, we have some good times, period. The fact is, that if narcissists were awful to us every single day, we would never have been with them in the first place. What they do is they plant a seed of hope right at the very beginning, and they know exactly what they are doing. The longer they are with you, the more they will learn you and learn how to keep you hooked. And the more you will also give them that information by trying to love them more. In fact, 
the more you try to love them, the worse it will get for you for many reasons. Even in the aftermath of months, years or decades of emotional, verbal abuse, lies and physical abuse, etc., it's often surprising how much we still hold on to false hope. Narcissistic partners are like the deadbeat parent who shows up with toys and a flashy show once in a while, but is never actually there for the hard times. I actually remember my ex would be like that and then accuse me and project onto me that I was the one doing that. I was the one who couldn't deal with the hard times. I was the one who couldn't be there for her in the hard moments. It was always her alone in this relationship. Meanwhile, I was living with her. The good times become like ports in a huge hurricane storm. You're like a frog jumping from one lily pad of hope to the other in this vast pond of bad days. The truth is, no one can rescue the narcissist, no matter what they do. No matter what they try, nothing will ever get better. Sometimes people find different survival strategies to attempt to stay in the relationship with these people. They focus on the someday that things will get better. These relationships are kept in place by the hope of the victim, pure and simple. This hope that one day things will get better and they will be back to their good self. And as my ex used to say, in a good place, maybe when the deadline passes, when the taxes are done, when you finally get the house, when they get that promotion or get another job because they can't hold the job down, when the kids will do better in school, when they finish school and move out, When their deal at work is closed, all of these things will never make a difference. Another thing that might keep us holding on is that unlike psychopaths or sociopaths, people with narcissistic personality disorder can put on a very convincing emotional act. They may cry, claim that they understand what they've done wrong, say all the right things and do all the right things to make you believe that they are actually human underneath all of that. That's another way of giving you false hope. And there we are again hooked because we think they finally got it, but they haven't. And they will slide back as they always do because they have a pathological illness. Every single time this happens is equally as devastating. It never actually gets any easier, especially when the further you go, the more you recognize that you've put more time, more of your health, more of your money and more of your peace in harm's way. Another thing that people in narcissistic relationships sometimes hope for is that one day their narcissistic partner might actually feel sympathy for them or empathy for them and rescue them. What if one day I really get ill? Then they will need to be by my bedside. Then I'll see that real love that they have for me underneath. The fact is that they will not. The coldness and rejection at any diagnosis, any hospitalization, or any mental or physical trauma is unfathomable. I remember when I was diagnosed with a chronic form of cancer. I remember that very evening, her sitting on the other end of the couch, just kind of staring at me like I was a fragile glass ball and she didn't say a word the whole evening. Later on, when I'd really had enough and brought this up to her, she got extremely angry and offended and said, but what about the other night on the couch, that night on the couch she kept referring to? Of course, I didn't remember anything that happened on the couch because nothing did happen on the couch. There was absolutely nothing from her because there is nothing to a narcissist. There's nothing inside. The thing is, I was giving nothing to her and therefore she could mirror nothing back. I was not being a narcissistic supply at all at that time. And she also knew she couldn't goad me into an argument because of what I just learned about my health. 
And so therefore, she was completely empty, a void. That's all they are inside. And that's why there isn't any hope in a relationship with these people. One of the hardest realizations for a survivor of a narcissistic toxic relationship is to admit that you were merely a host in the same way that a deer is to a tick. If we look at narcissism through the lens of a parasitic attack, this might actually be quite helpful in understanding the ways in which people with NPD are always seeking to suck the life out of you. This is what we call their narcissistic supply. Relatively recently, science has shown us that many parasite host relationships see the parasite actually altering the brain chemistry and behavior of the host in order for that host to fulfill the needs of the parasite. Does this sound familiar to you? Does this feel familiar to you? Julie T. Hall talks about this when she writes, A certain type of tiny wasp, for example, injects its egg along with chemicals into a ladybug. The egg hatches and consumes the nutrients that the ladybug ingests when it eats, essentially devouring the ladybug from the inside out. When the wasp larva is big enough, it squirms out of the ladybug and wraps itself in a cocoon beneath it. Immobilized and half dead, the ladybug is still programmed in essence to protect the larva by thrashing its body around and threatening insects that approach. Once the larva turn wasps hatches from its cocoon and flies away, the ladybug typically dies. Narcissistic people act very much like parasites, and they have an instinct for finding and attaching themselves to potential hosts. This realization that you were really only a host to this individual is extremely disturbing. And yet, please remember that because you are so well-liked, you are educated, empathic, creative, and beautiful, these are all the things that the narcissists wished to suck out of you because they do not possess them. One of the most difficult things about first educating yourself, then realizing that you are in fact with a personality disordered individual, a narcissist, is accepting that they will never change. In very rare cases, as I've mentioned in earlier episodes, the narcissist may try to change, but this will be very superficial and there is no hard evidence to suggest that this has ever worked. You really need to assume that they will not change. This can be extremely heartbreaking on many levels, of course. Who wants to admit that the person they have loved, spent perhaps decades with, is an empty monster? Most narcissists would need appropriate and intensive therapy, and in most cases, due to the nature of the disorder, they don't seek this out. Or even if they do, they don't stick with it. The truth is that expecting the person to finally give you the love that you deserve is natural. However, with the narcissist, this makes you vulnerable to the cycle of abuse that we talked about earlier, continuing. One thing I can guarantee you is that there is one person in this relationship who there is all the hope in the world for, listener, and that is you. Reclaim your light. Reclaim that laughter. Welcome the good in your world again. You can do all of this and so very much more. Keep a journal. In that journal, you could even have a timeline of the accomplishments you have made since freeing yourself from that relationship. Pause whenever you can and whenever you need to. Do a one-word feelings check. How are you today? However you choose to heal is your own sacred journey. And here are some things for you to remember along the way. This might help. The narcissistic abuse that you suffered is emotionally and psychologically and physically traumatic. You likely have PTSD or CPTSD. That's complex PTSD. You are not responsible for that narcissistic behavior. It is not your fault. 
Narcissists cannot be reasoned with, no matter how hard you try. It is not your job to rescue anyone. Healthy boundaries will strengthen your relationships and sometimes asserting healthy boundaries can feel a bit uncomfortable for those of us who have not ever done it or haven't done it in a long time. Honestly, the best revenge is to truly live your life fully and live it well. Fear is never meant to be a way of life. Overcoming narcissistic abuse trauma takes time. Be patient with yourself and your best is always good enough. So I hope that what we just talked about there has helped a little to shed some light on what may have kept you in that relationship with this individual for as long as you were. What I'd like to do now is take a short break and when we return, we'll have our journal entry prompt for this week. I'll see you in a moment. welcome back. This week's journal prompt is on setting new goals and having new hopes for ourselves. And here it is. Take this opportunity to set new goals or recalibrate existing ones. What are your revised hopes and aspirations? How can you approach these with resilience and adaptability? Please note, this podcast is not intended to replace professional therapy or counselling. It serves as a supplementary resource for support and encouragement. Listeners, you are encouraged to seek professional help if needed. I did, and it works for me every day. Stay tuned, and I look forward to healing with you again next time. Bye-bye.